Hey everyone, this is Colin. Uh, just making a quick note before this episode that uh, this was recorded on the day that the Mason Greenwood news dropped, uh, both the story from The Athletic claiming that the club is planning on bringing him back into the fold, as well as the um, vague statement at best from Manchester United uh, regarding the situation, claiming that a decision has not been made but will be made in the near future. So. Uh, That is not a topic covered in this episode. This is an Opposition View episode uh, discussing Tottenham versus Manchester United on Saturday. So there will be an episode that talks about that at a later date, but I figured I would need to address that, um, you know, given the um, how big a situation this is, that uh, that's not going to be something covered in this episode. So hope you enjoy it, and uh, thanks for listening. Encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. Welcome listeners to another episode of the Fergie Fledglings podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, and I'm joined today by a special guest, Dustin George Miller. He is the editor-in-chief of Cartilage Free Captain, the Tottenham Hotspur site for SB Nation. Dustin, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me aboard. Uh, maybe a little bit earlier than both teams would have wanted uh, this fixture to be you know, happening in the Premier League, but Manchester United versus Tottenham this weekend, um, a busy summer for both clubs. But uh, from just a Tottenham perspective, I mean, how are you feeling coming into this uh, being a week two match? Yeah, I mean this this is a big uh, big match for week 2 for sure. Uh I don't think either one of us really would like to have uh this kind of a this kind of a level of game happening um so soon into the season, but you know, you you play the games as they come. Uh so, you know, week 2 is when we get it and so week 2 is when we play. Um I I, I would love to have uh, a little more few more games under our belt. We we uh, Spurs had a bit of an abbreviated preseason. Uh, we had a, one match canceled in our preseason tour. We only got to play three preseason games. So it feels like we're we're not even sure kind of uh, yet how Spurs even play. Um, we're, we're still kind of getting getting the feel for how Ange Postacoglu, uh is setting up his team and how he's going to have tactics. Uh, so it, it, it all feels still pretty new and, and we're, we're still kind of in the discovery phase right now. So it's a big challenge for sure. Do you feel any more positive now than maybe you did earlier in the summer? I know with, you know, non-football things like transfers happening and also uh, all the dealings with Tottenham's ownership group. um, I mean, does it just feel good to be playing the football again? And does that kind of contribute to any positivity that maybe wasn't there earlier? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot going on for sure. Uh, you know, I, I we'll probably dig into this a little bit later, but you know, you can't really look at what what's happened so far in the summer and, and the start of the season without talking about Harry Kane. Um, and and that's really where um, you know, there's a a lot of uh there's a lot of emotion involved in that too. So, but there's also a lot of positivity too. You know, we're coming off of a of a year, a season where we drastically underperformed with with Antonio Conte and things really ended badly. Uh, and, and the vibes were pretty bad, uh, like almost as bad as it's been. I've, I've been, uh, running this blog, um, for almost 10 years now and have been a Spurs fan for longer than that, for about 15. 
uh, and I'd never seen the vibes that bad uh, as uh, at the end of the at the end of the last season. So uh, just to be where we are under a new manager with a new play style, uh, you know, progressive tactics, like it, it's feeling pretty good. Um, but you know, there, there's a lot that goes into that, and and I, I think if there's one word that can uh, describe our fan base at the moment, uh, it, it's pretty schizophrenic, really. Uh, the wild mood swings, depending on kind of what happens day to day, because we're so used to, uh, you know, bad stuff happening and, and, and terrible news and then good news and, and excitement. And then uh, it, it's been pretty wild. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's kind of good to have the games back because then we can kind of focus one game at a time and, and leave the news to happen when it happens. Yeah, I feel like uh, that was, you know, those words would describe Manchester United season two years ago when uh, Solskjaer was sacked midway through and then Ralph Ragnick came in. It was just uh, basically from November on, everyone was just waiting for the season to end because they knew, you know, that they were going to phone it in the rest of the season with this manager. The players didn't really seem to respect. Um, supposedly that manager was going to have a, a front office role with the club moving forward. And then things just, you know, dissipated because it was so negative because of that. Um, and I, I feel like the summer was a really nice refresh, uh, not just with Eric Tenog coming in and, you know, some sort of positivity and, you know, hope for the future that, you know, things were going to finally start moving forward. Um, uh, but uh, also, just I mean, starting a new season always feels pretty good. Um, it, it's nice to have football back, even though um, you know the way things have gone recently, there wasn't actually that much of a break. <laughs> yeah, no, no, there's there's so much football happening, right? so much football. Uh, you know, and, and that that's part of the challenge is that you never really feel like you have any downtime. Uh, what I will say about about Tottenham is that um, you know, bringing in a player like Ange Postacoglu is almost the the exact opposite of a manager as uh, Antonio Conte, where Conte played these, uh, you know, this very dictated style. Uh, you know, he had these established patterns. It's defense first. It's uh, very prescribed, very little individual freedom. And that all kind of went out the window as soon as he went out the door. And so we bring in Ange Postacoglu, uh, who is just the opposite of that. He's this uh, really personable and charming guy. He's no nonsense he tells you exactly what he thinks, but he's not mean about it. He treats all of his players the same, and his football is just so much fun. And coming off of you know the past three seasons, where you know uh, after after Mauricio Pochettino uh, got fired, then we had you know uh, Jose Mourinho, uh, and I mean that was a big change. And and, and then we had the uh, the Nuno Espirito Santo interregnum, as as I call it, uh, and then Antonio Conte. I mean both win now managers but just god awful football it was so so terrible to watch and and the vibes were just awful uh to turn that around and now we have something kind of to believe in uh we don't know if it's going to work uh you know pastagogli has won everywhere he's gone uh he, he's done well uh playing his particular style of football but you know this is his biggest challenge yet we don't know if it's going to work but so I don't know if we're going to be good this season, but I know we're going to be fun. And right now I'll take fun over, over being, you know, I'll even take fun over top four if that's what it takes. Yeah. I, I did want to talk about that, you know, trio of managers that come in because I mean, a lot with modern football, you know, we generally view those managers as regressive or of, of a different era, Jose Mourinho, especially where, 
you know, it, it's it's almost weird to remember how successful he was and you know, some of the teams that he managed because that Inter Milan team and that Real Madrid team and that Chelsea team, I mean, they did play entertaining football. You know, they would definitely set up in, you know, really defensive anti-football, some would call it ways uh, for some of the knockout matches in the Champions League and things like that. But for the most part, I mean, all, all of those teams had really entertaining attacking talent. And it just seems like, with the the Manchester United era, Jose Mourinho, and then Tottenham Hotspur, uh, it was just this like downward spiral into becoming what everyone called him, which was this anti-football, you know, ultra-defensive, uh, non-attacking manager. Yeah, and I think we all thought it might be a little different. I mean, we knew what we were getting into when when we appointed uh, Mourinho. I mean, we we know the style of football he plays. We know what he does, but he also wins. And and we thought, you know, hey, okay, we we can live with uh, playing this kind of uh, you know, deep deeply defense first football. But uh, he's going to win something with us, and that's going to feel really good. Well, I mean, now we're the only club that he's been at where he hasn't won anything, and it ended. We got like the full three-year Conte uh, experience compressed down to about a year and a half, and it was no fun at all. Um, and 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 kind of the same thing with 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 Conte when he came in. You know, we 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 knew he's a bit of a pill. He's uh, you know th- this really kind of fiery, bombastic guy. Uh, again, defense first football, but he's he was legitimately the best manager in, uh, available um, at the time that we appointed him, and so it was really exciting to to have him come in. Uh, and and you know, a, a lot happened. Uh, during that tenure, we actually played really good football for about half a season uh, during, you know, after he came in and then everything just kind of fell off the rails again. And it it just wasn't fun and he wasn't enjoying it. He had a lot of personal tragedies that was happening, happening in his life during that time. Uh, You know, he lost several friends um, who who had passed away, sadly, uh, during, during last season. Uh, And then, you know, the players stopped responding to him. Uh, He kind of stopped caring about what was happening. And it just was by by the end, everyone knew it was time for him to go. He just had to go. There was no choice. And he kind of made it uh, so that there was really no choice but to to call it quits. So, yeah, I I don't know. It's not been a fun few years (laughs) to be a Tottenham fan. For a whole bunch of reasons, but uh, you know, now with with Ange coming in, I, I mean, I can't echo enough just how uh, how much of a breath of fresh air he is, and finally we have something that we can kind of look forward to, and uh, football that we can enjoy watching, hopefully. And kind of looking at the squad uh, that Postecoglou took over, um, obviously the way that it was constructed was to be very you know structured and defensive and. But it, it seems to me like there are especially recent signings that may actually benefit from the way that Postacoglu wants to play. I think Pedro Poro is a really exciting young player. Uh, Dejan Kulisevsky has shown a lot of uh, promise since joining Tottenham from on loan from Juventus. And I think that deal was made permanent this summer. And Richarlison is a, you know, kind of a weird player to evaluate. But in terms of, you know, somebody being able to get the best out of him as an attacker, you would think that a manager like Pasta Coglu would be able to do that as opposed to somebody like Conte. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that uh, we all thought the same thing, that, you know, how is this squad going to, uh, going to respond? Uh, it's basically built for Conte. Uh, how it's going to respond to completely different tactics than, and what has been a pleasant surprise has been that a lot of these players have responded admirably to, uh, 
having the freedom to be able to play and, and to play in the front foot and really push forward. Uh, and yeah, you, you mentioned Pedro Poro. He's actually, I don't even think he's a starter for us. I think uh, Emerson Royal right now is uh, the, the guy who's probably going to start on, on Saturday. Uh, and he's he's been revitalized for sure. Uh, we have, uh, I think the, the player, the one player I think who has benefited the most from uh, the switch from Conte uh, to Postacoglu is uh, Yves Basuma. Uh, who was just completely stifled. You remember how good he was when he was playing for uh, for Brighton a uh, year before we signed him. Uh, and he was just stifled, completely stifled under uh, under Conte's uh, uh, style of football. And you watch him this season, it's like night and day. He looks fun. He's progressive. He's passing the ball well. He's moving the ball well. He's very press resistant. And he's running the team from the midfield. It's really exciting to watch him uh, blossom under, under Postacoglu. Uh, and, and just in the, in the few matches that we've seen out of him, but there are other players too. You know, the uh, uh, players that you might not have expected that would be uh, that would do well. Yeah, it, Tottenham's defense has been slagged for a while, and rightly, rightfully so. They gave up a, a ton of goals last season uh, when they were basically sitting back and trying to uh, defend for their lives. And now they're playing a high line uh, and 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 really pushing forward and playing with the ball at their feet. Uh, and 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 they're and they're doing well now. I, I think they may still concede a bunch of goals this year just because of the style of play. But uh, the the players are obviously responding. Uh, even Richarlison, um, you know, I, I I'm not a big believer of the Ewing theory, uh, <laughs> where you know Harry Kane uh, leaves the team and suddenly we're better. Uh, I don't think that's really the case. I think it, it's going to be a tough sell, and I don't really buy it. Uh, but I do think that, uh, like Richarlison, is as a player who potentially could be a very, very good um, uh, forward, uh, you know, number nine uh, under Postacoglu. Um, and we, we've got to give him the chance to show that yet. And I think um, there's still probably more signings to come. Nor do I think he might be the the long term solution. Uh, but you know, on on paper, he he sure seems like he he should be the uh, thriving in kind of a, a role that's closer to what he plays for Brazil than what he did under Conte. Yeah, I guess we can go ahead and talk about Harry Kane now. Um, it it feels like it was almost like a slow death of the relationship between him and Tottenham with the transfer request a couple of years ago to, you know, kind of, I guess, waiting out his contract before Daniel Levy finally decided that it was time to sell. Um, how, how much of a, I mean, I know that there's, you know, a certain view of Daniel Levy from the Tottenham fan base, but uh, looking at that decision to either you know, be the guy to sell the the club's greatest player ever or let him leave for free a year later. I mean, do you think that he made the right decision there? Well, I mean, the fan base is very, very deeply divided on this issue. Uh, and, you know, if and in my opinion, I'm going to share my opinion, but my opinion is probably not shared by even the majority, a plurality of, of Tottenham fans, uh, you know, across the, the spectrum uh, from match going fans all the way out to internationals like me uh, who watch from their from their homes. Um, it, it's so tough. I, but, you know, the, the thing, uh, there's been some stuff that have come out. There was almost a visceral, re- well, there was a very visceral reaction when when the uh, the Kane news uh, was announced and when he actually finally made the transfer and it went through. Uh, and there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of hurt and, and it's painful. It really is. He, you know, he's, he's our, he came through our Academy. He's been the best player in England. Uh, one of the best players in the world. Uh, you know, we're never going to probably never going to see another player like him um, for a long, long, long time. And uh, you know, to lose that, uh, you know, it, it hurts. Uh, there's no, no getting around that. It's very painful. 
Uh, but stuff that's come out, I think, after the uh, the transfer has gone through, there was a big breakdown in in the athletic that came out uh, a couple days after uh, the signing happened. Uh, that really put a lot of context into it. And and what it really comes down to is that he wanted to leave. Uh, and that's just the way it was. Uh, it, he, he'd wanted to leave for a long time. He had no intention of signing a new contract. Um, he wasn't going to you know, throw his toys out of the pram or anything like that. But uh, he, he, he wanted to go. Uh, and when you have a player like that who, at the end of the day, if he wants to go and you can get, you know, 100 million pounds for him, you kind of have to make that decision because otherwise you uh, you end up with uh, an unhappy player uh, who will just wind down his contract and leave and possibly end up, you know, at your club. Uh, and and that's like the worst case scenario for a Tottenham fan is to, to lose Harry Kane, get nothing in return and then watch him go to uh, to a league rival. So, you know, for for my from my perspective, um, I think Daniel Levy did a great an admirable job on the business sense um, here. Uh, you know, he 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 took a player who wanted out, uh, and he he played his cards really well. He squeezed every drop of juice out of that lemon from Bayern Munich, uh, and he managed to get basically twice amount twice the amount of money that they bid for that from first. I think the first bid was like sixty million euros, and they end up getting over hundred million pounds for him. Um, and you know, and, and he's going to get some stick. And rightfully so. He's made a lot of mistakes in the past number of years, uh, and some fans will never forgive him for this, and that that's that's fine. But uh, you know, it, it's it's this is a real chance, I think, for Tottenham to to turn a page and start a new chapter. Um, you know, we we've talked a lot about a painful rebuild. Pochettino mentioned that before he left, how you know he had to refresh the squad, and that never really happened, at least not in a symbolic way. Um, but now it has. Now you know. Hugo Lloris is leaving the club now. Uh, Harry Kane is leaving the club, uh, has, has left the club. And now it's time to turn the page, start something brand new. Uh, and now we have 100 million, 100 million pounds now that we can invest into young players to try to develop the next great Tottenham team. And that's that's pretty exciting if you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one of my co-hosts on this podcast, uh, Pauly, you know, has said if Kane did run down his contract, one of the possibilities would have been you know, maybe joining Chelsea and Mauricio Pochettino, depending how those things go and how that relationship still is. So I'm sure Tottenham fans are very, very happy that that wasn't uh, one of the possibilities, let alone, you know, just another Premier League club, I think. I don't think he would have done that, though. I mean, I think there were two clubs that uh, that he would not have joined under any circumstances. One of them is Arsenal, obvious Mm -hmm. reasons. The other one is Chelsea, just because they are Tottenham's two biggest rivals in the league. What I do think what probably would have happened is that uh, if he had run down his contract, he probably would have uh, um, gone to United, uh, quite honestly. And and rightfully so. It's probably the best place for him in the league. Uh, City don't need him anymore. They've got Holland unless, uh, you know, Real Madrid were to come. Um, and and he's not going to uh, go to a place like Newcastle uh, or, you know, it, it, he wouldn't want to take a sideways step. Um, mm. So like, United would have been probably the where he ended up. And you know, and all, uh, all respect to to you and and your colleagues, but like, no, 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 no <laughs> way. You know, that that's the worst possible uh, circumstance uh, you know, that that could happen here. So, in this way, you know, we we ship him overseas, uh, we, we get him out of the club. He's he's no longer with us, and that's sad. But he's at a place where we got a lot of money for him, and now we don't have to worry about playing him twice a year. So that that feels like about the best circumstance we can have in that in this situation. 
I, I was a little surprised by the price that he went for. Um, I wasn't surprised that Byron were willing to pay it just because, uh, you know, people who paid attention to them over the past year, they're in a little bit of a crisis, but they didn't replace Robert Lewandowski when they probably should have. Um, and the striker market is pretty barren right now. So if you, if you want somebody who can help you win the Champions League right now, which is the, the goal of Bayern, because even in a poor year, they won Bundesliga uh, by Dortmund being Dortmund. But um, somebody who helps you try to win the Champions League is is definitely Harry Kane. Um, and that price was just simply not something Manchester United were uh, economically able to pull off this summer, uh, given the other you know needs that they needed to fill or needed to address. Uh, I think, you know, outside of striker, they're still looking to try and address those needs before the end of the window. So uh, dropping 120 million pounds on a forward, it just wasn't realistic for them. Yeah, I mean it's a tough sell, um, and and that's part of why you know I'm, I'm kind of glad that that Bayern actually came through here. I wasn't sure they actually would. I, there was a moment where I thought they were going to walk away, uh, and then we end up kind of in that that nuclear circumstance where uh, you know Kane leaves for free, and we're stuck holding the bag, and and we end up with a happy unhappy player for a year who would have played. I mean he he would have mm-hmm. he would have been fine. He would have gone through. He been he's been very professional this time. I think he learned a lot from um, the uh, two year in 2021. The uh, uh, the saga with City. I think he learned a lot from that, and I think he would have. Uh, you know, it strikes me that that Harry Kane uh, did not want to leave on bad terms with the fans, uh, and there's going to be a little bit of upset um, fans that they're going to be upset no matter what because he's leaving, right? I mean, that, that that's kind of fair, but I think he wanted to try and leave with his legacy as intact as possible, and leave the door open for maybe coming back in a few years and trying to, uh, you know, trying to break Shearer's record. Um, but, you know, I, I think with Bayern, this is all kind of speculation, but um, my, my sense with Bayern is that uh, they were pretty desperate for, you know, a, a really solid number nine. Uh, and with, with some of the turmoil they've had in, in the boardroom over the past couple of years, uh, I, I really think they they were going to go for it um, just because they felt like they had to. Uh, so, you know, and, and I think Levy knew that, too. So he he was able to kind of play that leverage, uh, play that card a little bit to gain a little bit extra leverage in negotiations and and really just, you know, try and milk him for as much money as possible. Uh, and it worked, you know, he kept rejecting bids and kept coming back with more and he rejected again and then they'd come back with more. And and then finally, uh, it seemed like uh, some kind of dam broke and and uh, they, they reached this, uh, you know, uh, something at least pretty close to uh to, to Levy's valuation for Kane and that's really what tipped the balance. I I suspect that uh you know Kane probably would have he might have gone uh for slightly cheaper than what Bayern um actually ended up paying for him but uh you know I I can't prove it uh and and I, I think Levy probably wouldn't have been in a situation where he would have uh either walked away from a deal uh or you know uh, accepted significantly less than what he, than his valuation for Kane. So, and, and this, and that way, I think he really handled the, the negotiations pretty masterfully. Yeah. And, and I think taking the money now, you know, gives you at least a couple of weeks. If there are moves or possibility for moves that pop up that you, you know, Pasta wants to go for, there are players that maybe you can work in last minute that gives them a lot of room to, to make that happen. And that's, that's pretty valuable with, uh, you know, some of the ways, transfers go down um you know i mean we're still seeing things unfold with chelsea which just seems like 
I mean, I, I, I don't know what to think of them, but <laughs> it's just like a, an unending train of transfers. Uh, it's like, you know, maybe at some point we'll start asking the questions of where that money comes from, but uh, it's not right now. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and, you know, and it's interesting, too, that, you know, Pasta Koglu in, in the press conference right after Harry Kane got sold um, pretty much admitted that, you know, he, he's known this is going to happen for a long time uh, since he took the job. I mean, it, was, it wasn't really hard to figure out mm-hmm. uh, and uh, kind of dropped the news that all of Tottenham's business up until now has kind of been done in uh, with the assumption that Harry Kane would no longer be here uh, when the season started. Um, so, you know, some of the, um, you know, bringing in James Madison, uh, th- that was something that... Uh, was done in part. Well, he's a fantastic player, first of all. Really, really fantastic. I think he could end up being one of the signings of the Premier League this season, this summer. Um, but also, you know, um, you've got to replace Kane's goal somewhere. You're not going to get one player that'll do that. But if you bring in James Madison, the guy who can create and who can score in his own right, you know, that that helps. Um, and 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 other players too. Uh, some of a lot of the business was done trying to shape the team into a different image, um, knowing that Harry Kane probably probably is not going to be there. Um, and so looking back on that with hindsight, you can kind of see the shape of how things are are, are developing. Um, but it doesn't make the process any easier to go through. Yeah. So, uh, kind of looking at Manchester United summer um from the outside looking in i'm always interested in like getting people's perspective engaging you know how they rate manchester united um i mean how aware are you of uh you know manchester united over the eric tenog first year and kind of coming into this season so i mean i'm I'm hardly an expert on united um but uh you know i've, I've watched a little bit from afar uh and uh you know he he had a big job ahead of him i think coming in uh because in, in, in some ways he was also trying to change the culture to me at least if I'm, as an outsider he looked like he was trying to change the culture of united uh and in, in the, kind of the same way that postacogli is now trying to change the culture at tottenham um and i think he got some things right uh you know he, he cleared out a lot of the deadwood uh, he got rid of ronaldo uh which who i in my opinion is is a cancer <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think he needed to go and he needed to go yesterday uh, and just getting rid of him, I think, cleared a lot of the air uh, and 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 got a big personality out, out of the changing room and and out of the club uh, and and made room and flexibility for other people to kind of uh, step to the fore a little more. And I think that was a fantastic move uh, for Ten Hag. Uh, and he also made some pretty inspired signings that kind of flew under the radar. I mean, Christian Eriksen, as much as I hate to admit it, he's been he's been good for United. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss him a lot, um, but I've been I've really enjoyed watching him play for United on the, on the rare chances that I get to. Uh, and Casemiro too has been absolutely fundamental to uh, to the way United play, I think. And and he got the best out of Rashford too, uh, mm-hmm. who I think has been fantastic. Uh, so I mean, I I think there's uh, a lot that he's done right. Um, I, I think he's changing the culture. He had a rough start. Um, yeah, there there was. I don't know. I I don't know if you ever if if you had um, given any any credence to the idea that he might not make it past the first couple of months at United, but you know it crossed <laughs> our mind a few times. Yeah, after uh, those first two games, especially, uh, I think it was it was starting to seep in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, you, you got to give the manager a chance, and I think he, he's come around. And I mean, the proofs in the pudding, and and, and United have, have improved quite a bit. Um, yeah, I, I it's uh they've you can't question the improvement here. Uh they're they're doing a lot better. Uh they're playing better. Um I think they're making the right moves. 
uh, or they're trying to at least. Uh, it's a it's a difficult uh, difficult summer, um, and the uh, the valuations of players are really high. You've got teams like Newcastle and Chelsea who are just throwing money around. Uh, it, it's tough, uh, but you know there's there's still time. Yeah. I, I think this is a really big test for them this weekend after, I mean, obviously they played very poorly against Wolves. Um, there was the whole penalty debacle at the end of the game where Andre Onana goes flying in with a Super Smash Brothers move on two Wolves players um, that you know may have been the difference between three and one point. Um, but in general, though, kind of the way that they set up, obviously Casemiro is, is still finding his feet a little bit. Bruno Fernandez and Mason Mount haven't played together before and they're going to have to be the kind of creative outlets in midfield there. Do you think that this is the kind of game that could be maybe a little bit open like uh, Spurs versus Brentford was, or do you think that this could maybe be a little bit cagier of two teams uh, nervous to make the first move? Yeah. You know, what's interesting about the Brentford game, um, you know, that Tottenham, you know, they, they did what they have done in preseason too, which they, they had most of the ball and they, they, they outshot Brentford significantly, but really Brentford hit them, pretty pretty convincingly on the break a number of times but also i think brentford is one of the teams in the league that are uniquely set up to be able to counter um postacoglu's tactics mm-hmm. uh, you know they play play robustly they're well organized thomas frank's a really good manager they're playing five at the back uh for a lot of it and just trying to soak up pressure and trying to gum up uh the offense and they did a pretty good job of it too uh you know a 2-2 draw and ended up feeling pretty fair um united i think is going to be more open um, I, I, I think that, I mean, if I'm honest, I think Spurs might be, uh, might match up better against United than they even did against Brentford, just because of the way the two teams play. Uh, I think a lot of it may come down to the midfield, um, you know, and, and how, you know, the midfield of, of Madison and, um, um, Basuma and, uh, either Winks or Saar, how they match up against Casemiro and, and Bruno and, uh, uh, and Mount, uh, Mount wasn't very convincing. I don't think in the last match, but uh, but he he needs to be. I think if if uh, if United's going to really play well, you know, it's at Tottenham. Uh, it's a big match. It's uh, Postecoglou's first home game in charge. I'm feeling pretty good, uh, but you know, it's United, so you never feel fantastic about playing United. Um, but I I think it's going to be really interesting because we're still not sure yet how how Spurs are going to look uh, against a lot of these teams. Uh, and uh, if they play a high line, a high back line, and if uh, if United are able to get over that that back line uh, with with balls from deep, um, you know you have Rashford running on to uh, to long balls and trying to get behind the defensive line, and then you're it's basically a foot race, and you're you're doing defensive you know, central defender speed against attacker speed, and like that's scary. Um, it could be a KG match. It could be like a, a an eight seven thriller. I just have no idea. But it's going to be a lot of fun to see. Yeah, I think the space that's left is really the key because obviously that's where Rashford works best. And I think on the other side of the pitch, Anthony is, you know, if you reduce uh, the number of decisions that he has to make while charging forward with the, with the ball, I, th- I think that's uh, you know, where he's at his best. Um, it's kind of when he gets crowded, like against Wolves, uh, you know, the press kind of triggered whenever he received the ball. Um, and then Garnacho on the other wing because Rashford was playing at center forward because we don't have a, a healthy center forward <laughs> right now. Um, but Alejandro Garnacho, kind of the same way. He's he's a younger player. He's very direct. He's used to running at people. And uh, the midfield, it looked like they were playing with bricks on their feet. It was, it was like they, they had no first touch. They had no uh, ability to play through the press. So 
if it's like that again, I think United are in trouble, especially if you know Spurs' midfield have gotten it together. Uh, James Madison, like you said, is a really creative player. Um, I could see him causing us problems. Um, Richarlison, Son Heung-min, you know, players who are excellent at playing on the break. And United, the way they look like they're trying to play based on preseason and the opening game, they're going to have a similarly high line. Um, they're going to rely on their defenders to pass the ball forward quickly and effectively. Uh, that wasn't something they were great at. They're pretty good at recovering defensively because they've had to do it <laughs> a lot over the last couple of years. But um, you know, I'm you know, I'm worried about maybe Andre Onana getting um uh chipped from the halfway line after a Diego Dello turnover, <laughs> like in the preseason games. No, I mean Onana is he's a good keeper. Uh and yeah. but he does like to rush out a little bit. And if, uh, if Spurs can catch him kind of, you know, coming out, then there might be some space. I mean, the the thing about the thing I've noticed about Tottenham so far this season is that they do love to play forward and they love to play centrally. Uh, and they like to move the ball quickly forward uh, and and uh, lots of movement, lots of, uh, you know, dragging defenders out of position and then uh, trying to find that incisive through ball into the box for the you know, for the attackers to run onto. Uh, and, you know, if, if they can get that going, Brentford did a really good job of gumming that up. Uh, they were really sitting people behind the ball and defending and then really trying to hit on the counterattack. I don't get the sense that uh, that United is that kind of counterattacking team. You can correct me if you think I'm wrong here. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they set up and play. Uh, I think if United kind of tried to play, um, you know, straight up against Tottenham, uh, it could be, it could be a really fun match. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that kind of plays in the Tottenham's hands a little bit, um, but they, you know, if they, they also may just try and ping a couple of lucky balls over the top and, and Spurs have been uh, pretty susceptible to that. Um, you know, if if they don't get their defending perfectly right on those kind of counterattacks, then they can get into um, some pretty big trouble. Uh, and against Brentford, they did a pretty decent job, but they had a couple of times when they uh, they they didn't, or or you know they got a half step on on uh, on Davidson Sanchez and on Mickey Van de Ven, uh, and were able to get some pretty good looks and pretty good opportunities on goal. Uh, Brentford actually had a higher XG uh, than Tottenham in that match, which kind of surprised me. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a fun game. Uh, I have I, I I won't make a prediction on what will happen because I think it's both you know both teams are kind of new look and uh, uh, you know Spurs are definitely a new look and uh, we we could if we play well I think we could win uh, but we have to play well uh, and that that's a pretty big ask, big ask right now when the teams are still kind of getting getting to know one another. Yeah, it, it, it's a really tough one to predict. I I think. Yeah, what we saw in the first game, I, I mean, Wolves had a higher XG than us too, by the way, which was uh, really worrying. Uh, but, uh, but one of the things last year that Eric Tenog showed was that he's pragmatic when the team weren't able to play the way that he initially wanted to at the beginning of the season. So that Liverpool game that they crucially won his third game of the season um, was a little bit of a shift. They moved a little bit more towards kind of a mid-block and they weren't as uh, insistent on playing out from the back as they were in the first two games, which got them into loads of trouble, especially against Brentford. Um, and if they can, uh, they're a decent counterpressing team too. So if they can kind of trap Spurs in the middle of the park like that, while there is space to run in behind, uh, I think that's probably the key to victory there, which, you know, it requires the midfielders to operate as midfielders, which they did not do against Wolves. So yeah. <laughs> hopefully that will change for us. 
And I think we should also we shouldn't also discount the uh, uh, you know the coaching aspect of it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Ten Hag is actually a, a good coach who's able to uh, to kind of shift game plans as he needs to, and I think that could be important. Um, you know, if if uh, Postacoglu his his game plan is Plan A, and if that doesn't work, plan do Plan A better. Um, and so th- there really is no plan B. He's going to play the way he's going to play. Uh, and if you, you know, he's even if, if players make mistakes doing what he wants them to do, he's not going to criticize them too much, even if those mistakes lead to goals. Uh, so I mean, I, I think one underrated aspect of this particular match could be, uh, how does Ten Hag react if things aren't going well immediately? Can he make the adjustments, um, to be able to counter what, what Postacoglu is doing? Uh, can he kind of get behind, uh, that, that two, three, um, Two three, uh, two three three. What? Well, uh, what's the formation? It's. Uh, I mean, it, it's <laughs> kind of difficult to say. They're playing these uh, these inverted wingbacks now, and so mm-hmm. it, it screws up my spatial uh, when I'm watching the game. I, I'm finding players in areas that I'm not used to finding players. So, uh, but uh, you know, lots of wide play, uh, lots of of of, of forward movement, uh, and lots of high line. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, if, the, if he can adjust, uh, United to be able to counter that, then I think they could find some, some success. Um, again, I, I just don't know. I haven't watched them enough. I, I haven't watched Spurs enough to really know how they're going to react to getting punched in the mouth. Um, so we, we may find out. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping for several punches in the mouth. Uh, it's early to kill off the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it should be interesting. Um, I mean, I'm excited just to see more of Ange Postacoglu. I think one of the great things about the Premier League is, you know, the uh, diversity of managers that come in in terms of tactical thought and talent available. Uh, uh, talent available to a lot of these teams is just incredible. So uh, hopefully it's a really fun game. Uh, Dustin, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. This has been a lot of fun. I'm happy to come back. All right. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do this again in the season, hoping to do more of these opposition view episodes. Uh, So listeners, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you next week to recap what is hopefully a Manchester United win at Tottenham.